Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coffee Combos podcast. This is where unfiltered conversations and connections are brewed. I'm so excited to introduce to you all today's guest, Shinabu of Empowered Planning. She has over 10 years of experience in financial planning and building wealth plans. And she started Empowered Planning as an educational and empowerment resource to help women invest for their wealth and get empowered when it comes to money. I know I needed to hear all of this, so I hope you all find this conversation and interview helpful in your journey to building more financial freedom. But in this episode, you can expect all of the conversation around her transition into becoming an entrepreneur, how we can create a positive money mindset, how entrepreneurs and creatives can create consistency with inconsistent income. That was a big one for me. And her amazing golden rules to becoming financially empowered. So... You know what time it is. Grab your favorite cup of coffee or whatever keeps you fueled throughout the day and let's get this conversation started. Hey, Shinabu. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation and just talk about all the things that you're doing, being an investing and wealth coach and your whole brand around empowered planning. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited. I love talking about finances and helping people with money. So I'm excited that you're excited to talk to me. <laughs> Yay. So <laughs> for those of us who aren't really aware of who you are and what you do, why don't you just give us a little bit of some history of how you got into this work and why it's important for you? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I started off in this industry. I'm in my 30s now in um, college, really. I had been given an internship with Smith Barney. It was a um, you know big investment firm at the time, and I wanted to be doing something. So I started working there, and I kind of just fell into it because every day was different. Um, they were, you know, I was part of a group that was also trading commodities like coffee and orange juice, and um, they were doing financial planning for families, and I was never bored. So every day, I felt like I was soaking up so much information. I felt really like a fish out of water. And for some reason, <laughs> I gravitated towards that. So I think a lot of it was that my parents are both not from this country. So my dad is, you know, born and raised in Kenya, he moved to the United States in his 20s, my mother is born and raised in Japan. And she had gone to Kenya, met my dad, they wanted to start a family and be together. And this was the United States was kind of a neutral zone for him to be able to do that. But he had lost his parents earlier on in life and was really forced to become financially independent from an early age. So as I was growing up, he would, you know, I remember I was like seven or eight years old, he would sit me down at the table and really explain to me their financial situation. So, you know, I knew how much income my parents made at that age. I knew when things were going well. I knew when I was not supposed to ask for new things like, you know, sneakers or whatever the case was. Um, and it scared me because my dad would say, you know, if something happens to your mother and I, 
you know, you don't have any family mm-hmm. in the United States. So you need to learn how to take care of yourself. And it really, it made me kind of want to hoard money. And I know that sounds silly as a kid, but if I would do chores and I would get, you know, $5, I would literally hide it. Mm-hmm. I would hide it in a drawer because I was afraid that if I needed it, I, I knew I needed to know that it was going to be there. Um, so as time went on, he just always included me in their finances. It made my mom so uncomfortable because she came from, you know, an upper middle class family in Japan and really traditional back then. And she was like, this is so inappropriate that you're talking to a young girl about our money. Mm. Um, and he would just throw it back at her and he was like, well, what are her options? What is she going to do if something happens to her? So I think, you know, from my dad's perspective, it was based on his, you know, childhood trauma of what he was forced to deal with. And then it kind of created this own fear-based thinking around money for me. So when I was able to intern with Smith Barney and it was financial planning, I was like, hey, this sounds like conversations I've been having almost my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, oh, there's tools. Oh, there's strategies. Oh, there's technology behind this. You don't have to figure it out all on your own. And I was really, really passionate about it right away. And I had no idea there was so much knowledge and really tools and strategies that you could use out there. And I was like, I was so thirsty for that knowledge. Um, and I felt like I was, you know, I had the inside inside scoop on that. So it really made me want to focus on making that my career. And I knew that pretty, pretty early on. But I was probably like 20 when that happened. Yeah. And I was like, this is, yeah, this is where I need to be. I think that's awesome because me, myself, I I think growing up in a household where my dad was in the Navy and my mom was an accountant, she, I just did not know what my future was. So I love that you like figured that out and like by your 20s, like you were already kind of like, I know what I want to do and this is it because like you were already just so involved and so interested in that field. I think for a lot of us, especially creatives, we're kind of like, it's either or you're either like really like enamored with a specific craft or thing. And on the other Mm -hmm. side of the spectrum, you're like, there's so many things that I want to do and try. And how do I even start? Um, But I love that. I love that it became a part of your life. And I remember you mentioning in our last, like, previous conversation off air that that really built this foundation for you to become a financial planner and just be in the finance industry. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there are definitely times where I was like, I don't want to sit in an office all day where <laughs> you have to come in, work these hours. You know, I, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, but just going back to that fear based in money mm-hmm. culture that I had, I was really like, well, I need to know this as a life skill because if something does happen and I have an emergency, will I be able to take care of it myself? And Mm. so I don't know how much it was definitely a mix of passion, excitement, and then also really driven by fear. I think if I was more free flowing at that time, I would not have jumped into this industry because it was, it's changing, but you know, that was 15 years ago, maybe even, uh, I won't t- totally date myself, but more than 15 <laughs> years ago. And 
it was really different. You know, it was mostly men and it was a kind of a harsh environment. So I, I think if I wasn't making that decision with a large chunk of that based on fear, I would have gone in a different direction, just explored something a little bit more fun um, from that perspective. But yes, this ended up, ended up working out. And I think what happened was I, and I don't want to totally bash the industry because it's been done wonders for me, but it was really obvious to me that I was missing a lot of opportunities because I was a woman. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was because I was a minority woman. Um, I oftentimes felt, I don't want to say shame around my name, but I felt like, man, I just wish this was different. Mm-hmm. And that upset my parents because they were like, you need to know who you are and where you came from. And this is part of it. So get over it. And that was just kind of the message they always gave me when I was growing up. But as a kid, all you want to do is fit in. So mm-hmm. when I transferred this into the workplace, I was like, well, maybe they would give me a chance if my name wasn't so funny, if they, some people could pronounce it better, or if I didn't look different from other people. And so I internalized a lot of that. And I didn't know if I was making it up, if it was accurate. I was young. And so I just had to leave the industry for a little bit because there were times where um, financial planning type jobs, which were considered to be sales roles because you're selling financial solutions, those opportunities were not open to me. And I would see the people that would get those positions. And I said, you know, hey, on paper, I actually look better than they do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and figure out all the reasons why they didn't pick me. I just know that this is becoming a theme. So I actually left and started to work at a company that was 100% commission-based. And I think they guaranteed me $2,000 a month. And it was called a recoverable draw. So if you didn't earn the $2,000 of commissions that month, they would lend it to you. And then the next month, if I made $3,000, I'd have to pay them back the two. So that for me, yeah, yeah. I was like, I keep telling myself, that I want to do this and I keep feeling sorry for myself that I'm not getting these opportunities. But before I really fight (laughs) with all of this kind of on my back, why don't I go and see if I even want to do this? Mm -hmm. So that was a way for me to show myself, is this something I even want to be doing? So I went and did the sales role and I loved it. I loved connecting with people. I loved the fast paced environment. And then I also liked getting rewarded financially when I was busting my butt and it was working. Um, When I had previous roles in the financial industry, when they weren't sales roles, I felt like I'm putting in all this effort. I'm trying to make a difference. And at the end of the day, I'm collecting the same paycheck as some of these people around me who I'm doing all their work. So I felt like it was double rewarding. It was exciting. And at the same time, the more effort I put in, the more financial reward I was getting out of it. And I was like, this is what I want to be doing. So I went back to a larger firm and took a huge step back of income at the time and just to get an entry-level position because I knew they wouldn't hire me as a salesperson coming from the outside with you know, for all the reasons I could have made up in my head or maybe, you know, whatever was true. I was like, I need to just uh, swallow my pride Mm -hmm. and take a step back in income, take a step back in title, and then 
to go take a job. And it happened to coincide with the financial crash of 2008. So I, um, I felt really stuck when I went because I knew I had no other option. I couldn't leave. And I was worried about getting let go because I had just arrived and the markets were crashing. So, um, but it gave me kind of a boot camp or training ground on becoming a financial planner. And I was able to work my way up and then did that for, for about 10 years, which I really, really enjoyed. That is awesome. Well, you're no longer there, as we know. So I would love to hear about the transition you took from working for such a big company and having such a you know, huge role for over a decade and then, you know, transitioning into, okay, I want to start working for myself and then empowering women specifically and just people in general, of course, but, you know, really empower people to grow their own wealth. So let's, let's kind of like update and hear how that kind of came about. I'd love to hear that story again. Yeah, so it was, um, there was a tiny bit of a transition in between that I, after being a financial planner, I took a role as a financial educator and I gave live workshops all around Southern California for a large, um, financial institution. And I was able to deliver in that time over 500 workshops. And that is what really opened my eyes because previous to that, I was working with high net worth clients. So these are people that had money ready to invest. They just needed solutions and they needed, you know, someone to walk them through the financial planning process. And that was complex with taxes. There was all this stuff that would go into it. But this was different because I was educating people of all backgrounds. So I could be educating, you know, a hundred surgeons in San Diego, or I could be educating people that just graduated college and they're you know, have very little income because they're going back to school to get their master's. So that, that was a really eye-opening experience to me because I was kind of in this bubble of everybody having wealth because that was my job and that's the people that I worked with. Mm -hmm. And it really started to scare me a little bit because I would talk to people that were in their 50s, in their 60s. They did not have the financial structure to be able to retire and they would be asking me for solutions. And at the end of the workshop, and it was really heartbreaking to have so many conversations again and again with people where there wasn't much that they could do by the time they were in their 60s. I could help them with, you know, small strategies here or there, but really what they needed was time and they needed income for exponentially. So I really started to get nervous for our generation because traditionally people have retired with pensions. You mm -hmm. work for a company for 25 years, 35 years, and then they pay you, you know, 80 to 100% of your income. And then when you retire, and then on top of that, you get social security. So a lot of people that were retiring, they actually were making more money in retirement or at least living very comfortably because their income was equal um, or very close to what it was. So we actually haven't seen in this country a generation retire where more than half of the population is not relying on pensions. So we haven't seen that yet. Wow. So it kind of like shook me to the core that I'm like, wait a minute, all of these things that I talk about that I've been talking about for the last 10 plus years, but people don't know this. And then I started having these conversations with my friends and 
I had my son, I had my first kid, and I was working a lot. I was traveling two weeks out of the month, and I was like, I can't keep this up anymore. I'm like, just my priorities shifted. I completely changed as a person. I went from really, really high pace to wanting to slow my life down a little bit. And so I stepped away from that. And then it really seemed like the floodgates opened for family and friends that were just calling me, you know, people that were around my age and just asking me so many questions. And I would do my best. I would help them. And then at the end of those conversations, they would say, okay, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Where can I go to get more of this? Where can I go? Who can help me? Yeah. And I would run through a mental list in my head and I'm like, well, you couldn't go where I used to work because I wouldn't be able to sit down with you for an hour or two explaining financial planning concepts because that's not how we were paid. And I kind of running through a mental list going, well, I don't really know where you could go. I could direct them to a website. And I kept coming up empty handed. So it really sparked the idea for me that I feel like I need to save people's finances um, and empower them to do it themselves because we're in the wealth, what I call accumulation phase right now. It's like we're all trying to save money and build that wealth. So eventually we'll have someone else to talk to. But in the meantime, no one wants to talk to us Mm. because we don't have that money right now. And it's scary. So I really created this to help formalize how I work with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, and then it just kind of opened the floodgates where it was kind of, oh, this person, you know, a friend of a friend has a question about this. And I was just really overwhelmed and surprised by how many people had questions that I knew the answers to, but didn't have a succinct like package I could give them. So that's really what um, started Empowered Planning. Ooh, I love it. I think, and especially because like what you were saying, a lot of people aren't equipped with the education to know how to like just save or just to be empowered about finances. I know it's such a touchy subject for so many people. And I know for myself, especially as I started to become a business owner in the last couple of years, it was just like, it was always something that I would ignore, but I knew that I had to face because it was just like, I need to figure this out. And I don't know why it's such a taboo subject, but I feel like it's, it's always such a, again, it's just, it has such a bad, like leaves a bad taste in your mouth whenever someone's like, oh, like, I don't know, anytime that I've talked about like, hey, like where do you get your taxes done? A lot of my friends don't even like have a proper tax person. (laughs) A lot of people don't really have a savings account. A lot of people don't really like know. And especially right now, because we're all kind of going through this collective grieving and loss of jobs and money, some of us who are, who could be on unemployment and some of us who are thriving during the pandemic with our businesses, I think we're all just kind of trying to figure out like, how can we, again, like you were saying, save money and how can we grow our wealth, especially in a time where it seems like there could be another uh, like 2008 market crash. You know what I'm saying? So I'm so yeah, curious. Yeah, definitely. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on that and how um, we as just like 
in our generation. And as we like, I'm turning 30 in September. So I'm like trying to prepare. I was like, you know what, like, I do need to start thinking more, um, more savvy with my finances. And this is, again, something that I've always tried to avoid. Like I have set a savings account aside where it takes out like automatic payments. So I don't have to think about it. But like, what more can we do? Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think just if you could just say that again, I think that would be really helpful for other people because I kind of preach this stuff all the time. But Mm. just from your experience, I would just love it if you could share that again in case someone missed it. Absolutely. I feel like so I I actually read a book, I think I told you on our last call, um, The Latte Factor by David Bach. And it just talked about how this millennial woman, and I related to her so much as she really wanted to invest in like a piece of art. But like she spent her money on just so many random things that she didn't have any extra income for herself to invest in this piece of art. So when like uh, some advice came to her, it was just like, set aside some money, you know, like when when you automate your um, payments to go to like a savings account. So I, we do that every first of the month, um, both in our business and our personal accounts. We set money aside so that we don't have to think about it or actively do it because awesome. it's just another thing to add to our list. And sometimes I forget. So for me not to have to yeah. think about it feels really good. And to see that money, even though it's not a lot, sometimes like and I remember when I first started, I was like, I'm going to start with 50 bucks because I don't have a lot of money coming in right now. So that's what I feel comfortable with setting it aside. And it's grown, you know, it grows to a couple hundred, then a couple thousand. And like, you don't even notice it. And we don't even touch those accounts. So it's like really cool to see that kind of build behind the scenes. And that's definitely one way that I've kind of really incorporated that concept of just like, you know, automating that so I don't have to think about it just because it feels like whenever I do open my account on my phone or on my computer, and I'm like, cool, like, how am I doing? And I look at that, I'm like, I think I'm good, you know, um, whether it's that yeah, like saving no. that for a rainy day or saving that for something specific. Yeah, I think that's an awesome way to start. And I'm a big believer in putting everything on autopilot because if I take a look at my life and I think women our age, we're busy, you know, we have mm-hmm. things going on. We're not, you know, clocking in at work, clocking out and then going, oh, I want to stay for retirement in 30 years. That's not really, you know, what's driving us to wake up every morning. So life happens, it gets busy and you really hit the nail on the head with automating it. We did the same thing when my son was born and we wanted to move to a bigger house and we, you know, weren't really sure if I was going to lose my job. There was just all of this uncertainty. And when we went to go open an account for my son, I was like, well, what's the point? We're only going to put in 50 bucks a month. Like, Mm. you know, does that really worth us doing it? And yeah, it absolutely was because what it allowed us to do was anytime there was extra money, I could just throw it in there. The link to the account was already open. The account already existed. I would go in like you just said and look at it. And then it's in a different way, rather than spending money, you're spending money on yourself to Mm -hmm. save it. So it kind of gets exciting where you're just like, Oh, I want to see this account grow bigger. And I want to put more money in there. And then that becomes its own little game that you start playing. And because the link was already set up to the account from our checking account, it was so easy to do. And so two years later, two and a half years later, that account has grown, we've invested the money because we don't want to touch it for a while. And I'm looking back like, oh my gosh, if I 
did what I know I should not do, which is don't open the account, then we wouldn't be in this situation. And I'm really excited that I did what I knew I was supposed to do, even though I was telling the same story to myself. It's like not enough money. And I think Mm. that's the whole conversation that we need to be having because right now, yeah, it sucks for a lot of people, but it's also bringing to light how much we have to make sure that we're balancing our well-being in pursuit for the happiness that we're trying to look for every single day. Because if our, you know, if we're looking for deeper meaning in life and we're looking to push ourselves self-development or pursue a passion with our career, if you're walking on a really shaky financial ground, you're going to be pulled out of that space frequently. And it's just going to be this anxiety, this stressor that you don't that you need to find a solution for so you can go after the things that you want to be going after. But if not, it's going to continue to hold you back um, from all of the things that you want to be doing. So I would say absolutely, like, get automated on things and and kind of look at it like what we spend on our cell phones and what we spend Mm. on, you know, filling up our cards with gas or whatever it is. It's like pay yourself. You know, pay yourself too. And I kind of joke about that book, The Latte Factor, because I love coffee. (laughs) So for me, you know, there's this whole joke about millennials and their avocado toast and their lattes. And I'm like, screw you. I like avocado toast and I like lattes. So I'm going to keep doing that. Um, But if you have a system set up where, where you're automatically saving, then yeah, you can cut back on some things as you want. But I don't want to give up everything or all my enjoyment that I'm living today because I just want to sit at home and penny pinch my money. So it's definitely about finding a balance. But I would say like an emergency fund is critical to set up. And I think a lot of us have been slapped in the face with reality right now during this COVID season. And just there's so many things that you can try to predict with the market and the economy. And then there's things like this that come out of nowhere and you just really couldn't see it coming. You couldn't really plan for it. So having an emergency fund will do that. And, you know, they typically say three to six months of your monthly expenses should be an emergency fund. And what I'm finding in a real life scenario is it's more like six months. You know, if I was in my 20s, then yeah, maybe it would be three months in my early 20s, because I wasn't making that much income. And I didn't have a lot of expenses. I was in, you know, I was just getting started. But if you look at where you are in your career, and your worth, and how easy or difficult it would be to replace that income within three months, it starts to become more difficult, the higher income you earn. So I would err on the side of having a larger emergency fund than just sticking with the three months. Because even in a situation like this, after three months, not everything is back open and people are a little bit hesitant to spend that money. So I would say exactly what you're doing is just that's the first place to start. I want to take it a step further and say, there's a big difference between saving money and investing money. Saving is what you said, it's putting the money aside. You're saving it either for an emergency or keeping it for some other goal. If it's some other goal that's in the future, that's five, six, seven, ten years out from now, that money should be invested in the stock market. And you don't want to blindly invest it in. That's a whole other conversation of getting started, but it needs to be invested because cash is paying us one to two percent. 
and you're saving, but you're not using the power of the market and you're kind of selling yourself short by not starting to build that wealth. Wow. Yeah. I would love to get in the topic of investing because I know that is also something that you educate upon is like how to approach investing because I feel like that's very intimidating. My my partner, my boyfriend, he has been investing his money into the market and like he tells me about these things, but it honestly doesn't click with me. Like I don't get it. And like I have, I think I remember when I had a more consistent income with my last corporate job a few years ago, I would use the app Acorns. It would take like whatever extra um, change and invest it into a specific pro- portfolio. Um, and then like I forget what happened with that. I don't think I have it anymore. But um, that was something that I was like, I don't know if this works. I don't know if it makes sense for me. But um, I would love to hear your approach about like how can we, if we're not educated about it, and it seems so complicated, especially for someone like myself, I have no idea what I'm looking at. I don't know when like I open up the Robinhood app or whatever stocks app that we have, like, I don't know, I don't understand, like, what would be the best thing to invest in? Yeah, that's a really good question, because it's not that easy. So I as much as I want to Say just go ahead and do it. You're taking real risk with Mm -hmm. your money anytime you invest it. And so you want to do that with caution, right? Because this is money that you've earned, that you've saved, that you've made a conscious effort to put aside for your future. You don't want to just pick something that's trendy or pick something that's popular and you've heard about and throw it in there without really understanding the potential downside risk. So really it's, Learning the investment world, I look at like learning another language. And, you know, if you were going on a trip to France, let's say, and you're like, all right, I want to learn some French before I go there and you pop in a, you know, audio book or something like that that's teaching you the words, you listen to it, you know, half an hour a day. When you go there, you might be able to order a cup of coffee, maybe ask for directions, but you're not fluent. And it's the same thing when you're learning about investing. It's not something that you can just pick up overnight mm-hmm. and feel really comfortable and start investing and that you're doing the right thing. It's really like learning another language. It's going to take you time. It's going to take you really a lot of um, effort on raising your awareness around it and then starting to get informed. So I, I have free videos that I create on IGTV every Wednesday. And those are based off of questions that people will DM me. And it's a good place to start because I go through different concepts. And so if people have questions, I'm happy to get get them and answer them because I tried a couple of times to Google some information for people to send and Mm -hmm. I was overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. There's so much information out there and it's all laden with financial jargon and the reason is because there is risk when you're taking when you're risk you know basically throwing your money at something and it has the power to go up or down so there's so much legal restriction behind it and that's why all of this financial jargon is in there so even after 2008 when the market crashed they increased regulation exponentially so there was so many more trainings and things that I needed to do for my job just to do business with a client and 
while if you have someone like me walking you through it step by step, it doesn't seem so bad. But if you're everyone else, well, now there's just more rules and more things thrown out there. And then in the meantime, because of technology, the amount of products that are out there have tripled. So I completely understand why you feel uncertain about that. And I would also like advise with caution that people just don't go jumping into investing because they're excited about it because I follow um, different investing personalities on Instagram as well. And I think a lot of times the stuff that they're throwing out there is really not beneficial. I think it's asking people to take blind risk if they're just recommending something for you know, you to buy. Mm. It's like, well, they don't know your situation. Right. They don't know what your income looks like. They don't know you're self-employed. They don't know the time frame of your goal. And they're just telling you to buy something. That's really scary to me. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm creating, you know, I've created this program to help people, people do that. But the best thing you can do is just start making it part of your language and follow either a blog or a financial podcast. Um, or you can check out my IGTV stuff that I put out there, but just start following it and making it part of your process. So you kind of look at it like, okay, if I'm learning another language, I can't just pick it up over the weekend. I maybe learn a word a day, yeah. something like that. So maybe it's like, you know, a concept of the week that you start to learn about investing. So it starts to become part of your daily routine. And then you feel more comfortable asking questions because you've heard something three times and you're like, all right, I think I get it, but could you just explain what the heck the difference is between, you know, passive versus active investing or something like that. But it is a vast, vast world. And so my hope is that I can simplify these complex, but it's difficult to do that in just a short sitting right. um, because it's, there's so much information and history behind it and there's so many products out there now Mm, I could imagine for sure I know I've seen like kind of like what you said sometimes I'll see friends like repost like oh like this is the right stock to invest in right now and I'm just like how do you know like how do you know how much to invest how do you know why like this is the good one to invest in you know like and it's again like you said it's a language and I think like taking it slow is definitely the best route because I think um, I've overwhelmed myself kind of like looking at blogs and looking at things and it's just like making it a part of your financial journey and like whenever you do have that time to focus and learn about it and to really be present and understanding what those things are and why it's important to invest is really, really cool. So I, I look forward to like watching your IGTV um, videos because I know that's going to be super helpful. Yeah, I would also just say that if it's when you're taking a look at investment vehicles that are out there, so how can you participate in the stock market? There's um, individual stocks that you can buy. You have mutual funds. You have something called exchange traded funds. Um, and when you look at investing, anytime you buy an individual stock you're subject to three different kinds of risks. The first risk that you have is company-specific. So if you're buying, let's say it's Apple, for example, it's just a well-known mm-hmm. well-known company out there, and we, we all use it for the most part. <laughs> um, so if something were to happen behind the scenes, let's just say there's this evil Apple guy who is just lied, completely lied about something with their software or technology, and then they throw a new phone out there and they have to recall the whole thing. 
So if you're invested in Apple stock, it doesn't matter how savvy of an investor you are. How could you know that somebody behind the scenes is doing something illegal that could potentially impact your money? Mm. You couldn't. So on top of that, you have company-specific risk and you have industry risk. So industry is just literally the industry or sector that the stock is located in. So let's just take the travel industry going through coronavirus. It doesn't matter if you were really into Marriott hotels or Delta um, airline stock. They could be a really great company and they could be running a tight ship and everything looks good. Their financials are good. Their growth potential is great. And then coronavirus happens Mm. and they weren't even allowed to do business. So now you also are subject to industry or sector risk. And then the last thing that you're always going to be subject to is market risk. So in 2008, it didn't really matter what kind of company you were. The stock market crashed. So everybody lost value. The only thing that didn't lose value in 2008 was government bonds. And government bonds essentially is just government-issued debt that you could purchase. And people typically, especially around our age, have no don't even have that on their radar because it's boring it's fake but what also comes with that is the u.s government has a magic money making machine right they print money so their bonds if they needed to produce them and produce cash they could literally just print more money so there's not a huge chance that the government will default on their currency Mm -hmm. so people in times of uncertainty will start purchasing a lot of bonds. So in 2008, that was the only area that we, that made a positive return for the whole year because everybody freaked out and most people fled to uh, government bonds. But if you were any other industry, it didn't matter. You could have been on your way to success. 2008 happened and your company suffered. So when you're investing in a stock, you're investing in company specific. You could even take a look at Volkswagen. They lied about the emissions testing. They got caught. I mean, that was a huge, huge blip for them. And as a consumer, you could be a Volkswagen fan and be like, I love the VW vans. I see, you know, they're doing cool things with their cars. I want to invest in that company. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea. Some guy is just completely lying behind the scenes. So you have company-specific risk, industry risk, and then market risk. What I like are mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, typically because they're more spread out between those areas where you're not specifically relying on one company or potentially one person to make a mistake. So that's one area that I would start with is just mutual funds that are what we call diversified, that are spread out between different categories. And, you know, I don't want to go down a total rabbit hole with investing, but it, it gets tricky because some mutual funds or exchange traded funds, they are industry or sector specific. So when you buy them, you can't assume that they're totally spread out. So that's why you just have to do a little bit more digging around. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for like diving into that and kind of giving us some really great um, just insight because I love that you kind of laid out the risk and what that looks like because there's, like you said, there's so many things you have to consider, not just our personal financial situation, but also the things that are happening specifically with these individualized risks. Um, to kind of change, to kind of transition into the subject of just like money mindset. I know this is something that we have talked about on our like 
pre-podcast call. So I would love to yeah. just hear because, again, a lot of us, at least for me too, I didn't have like a really healthy money mindset or even a healthy relationship with money. How can anyone who's struggling with – how do I phrase this? Um, how can people who are looking to create a positive mindset, what are some tips from you that would give them more just like ease and hmm, some ease and again, just more empowerment to be conscious about their money? Yeah, I think that's a great question because even for me, I work with this all the time. It's been just a passion of mine. I struggle with it too because it's, it's pretty emotionally driven, right? If you lose money, it's a big deal. So mm -hmm. it's not, you know, this kind of one and done thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to change my financial situation. I feel good about it. It's like life happens. You know, you can't always plan for all of these bumps that you may have in the road. And then it's also a balancing act. You know, we want to enjoy today. I think what I would recommend people to do when thinking about money mindset is just revisit the past a little bit. Don't stay there too long, but just revisit it. For me, I always have a hard time making financial decisions when I have to pay for something. Because I am totally reverting back to my fear-based belief around money. I'm, I'm scared to spend money. And it hurt me in a lot of social aspects of my life, especially in my 20s. I wasn't living like a 20-year-old. And I wish I could go back in time and kind of slap myself in the face and say, loosen up, have fun, <laughs> and enjoy yourself. But I was afraid that I was going to have some big catastrophe you know, catastrophic emergency, and I'm just going to need to bail a bunch of people out, including myself. So I always have to balance between how do you make that positive money mindset? And what does that mean for you? So what I try to do is, and I joke about this a lot, but I have literally nicknamed the voices in my head, right? Because <laughs> we are telling ourselves a story. I know I sound so crazy. I love um, it, though. I love tell it. Tell ourselves a story. <laughs> every single day and I had someone tell me one time I have no idea if this is true but I'm sticking to it that we have over 60,000 negative thoughts a day so it's happening in our subconscious so you don't even realize it so the first thing I would say to people when thinking about shifting their money mindset is just revisit the past what was your money culture what's your money story that you that you had going on that doesn't have to be you today and so I'm not living in complete utter fear today, but it's part of my history and I can't erase it. I, I've learned how to deal with it, but I can't erase it. So I would ask people to visit that first. And then I would name these voices in your head. So I call my limiting belief system, Silky Susie. <laughs> and then I call my fear and anxiety, Drama Queen Jolie, because <laughs> I look at it like that. If I'm about to make a financial decision or I'm going into business for myself, what's the first thing that pops up? It's uh, Sophie Susie, right? She's like, oh, Chinaba, that's never going to work. You worked for a big company. I don't really think you're going to be able to do this on your own. You've never done this before, right? That's a normal thought that we have, but we don't 
always take the time to stop and say, that's actually a limiting belief system. That's not me trying to rationalize whether or not it makes sense to start this company. Mm -hmm. That's a limiting belief. And so then if I'm making another decision like buying a home, then you have drama queen Jolene and she's running around in your head being like, oh my God, don't buy a home. That's so scary. You're going to lose all your money. Your house is going to burn down. You're going to be broke. Right. So you're just like, okay, I probably shouldn't make this decision. So I struggle with these all the time, but because I can name them, I try to normalize them and then I can joke about it. So if it pops up in my head, especially right now, I'm writing a book and both of my parents were born and raised in different countries. English is not either of their first or second languages. So I didn't grow up with this huge vocabulary and I wasn't overly interested in literature. So it wasn't something I pursued to say, oh, let me make sure I have the largest vocabulary out there. So as I'm writing the book, I have these sulky, sleazy moments where I'm like, you have no business writing a book. You're not a, you know, literature major. And when did you ever, you know, you've never written anything before. So Mm. these things constantly pop up in our life. And it absolutely pop up with money. And it's really about identifying what story you're telling yourself. And is it related to your past? It may or may not be. Um, another one that I think comes up a lot from mindset work with people is, you know, let's say your parents were really conservative with their money. And they didn't have a lot of debt. They paid for things in cash. And then they really didn't invest in the stock market. And so you might think, and not you might think, this would be great if, you're saying, okay, well, from my past, my parents really told me not to throw money around and I save my money and I, you know, don't have debt and I do all of this. That's great. But then that same person is really hesitant to invest in the market and to start building wealth because they're afraid of it because that's the story they were told growing up. So I think it's really important to explore that and then really observe how you think about money right now. And so, uh, you know, maybe one example is if there's someone that you're close to that something really exciting financially happened for them, you know, what was your initial thought? And I think that's when in the beginning you were talking about it's uncomfortable to talk about money. If you're doing well, you feel bad. If you're not doing well, you feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just identifying that. And then I have, you know, kind of like a three-step process for treating that as, acknowledge the feelings so rather than me like slamming the door in sulky Susie's face and go well I'm just going to pretend that doesn't exist I'm just going to put my head down and keep writing mm-hmm. it's going to pop back up right I, I kind of joke like sulky Susie knows where I live she's going to come back <laughs> so I try to <laughs> acknowledge it and then feel the feeling so in that moment I'm like I feel really scared I don't feel comfortable I feel there's pit in my stomach and I want to walk away from this whole thing. Acknowledge it. I don't want to sit with it for too long and then reframe how you're thinking. You're going to move from, I feel really uncomfortable to let me reframe it. If I write this book, I'm going to be really excited that I can share this information with a lot of people who don't have one-on-one access to having conversations with me. That's really exciting. I can put my work out there. You're reframing your thinking and then three, move through it okay, well, I set out to finish this chapter by the end of the week. I need to just put my head down and keep going and I'll deal with these feelings as they come. So the same thing that happens with money, I would look at that and say, are you telling yourself, oh, that's great that Alyssa's job is thriving, but that's just not going to be me. I'm not like her. You know, just kind of start to observe what that is and then reframe it. So a great solution is positive affirmations. 
Um, it's just sometimes really awkward to do them. You know, if you're just sitting at home and you're like, okay. And, you know, I Googled some and they were weird. I'm like, this is kind of weird to just say money is going to flow easily to me. Like that doesn't feel good to me. That doesn't feel, it feels like Mm foo-foo. So you just want to create one that feels organic to you that say, I'm working on improving how I, how aware I am about money. That's a pretty simple one of just about raising awareness around it. And you can just throw it on a post-it and have it by your desk or have it by your mirror or whatever it is. Um, and the nice thing about quarantine is you don't have people coming over. So you don't have to like run around your house and take down your post-it <laughs> of your personal affirmations. But I think that's a just a way that I like to do it, that I teach people how to do it that way because it's unrealistic to think we're always going to be in this happy, positive space when we're thinking mm-hmm. about money. And especially when it comes to investing, it's scary because you could potentially lose them with the hopes that you're gaining money. So that's uncomfortable. And you have to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Everything you said. And like, I love that you mentioned affirmations kind of like, it's such a weird thing, right? Because you're just talking to yourself. But affirmations work, people. Like no matter if it's about money, if it's about confidence, like affirmations, I, I, I like accredit to like saving my life and like actually getting me to a place where I am comfortable and confident within myself. And like it is, it's all about like sometimes looking in the mirror and seeing these things out loud. And like, I actually use an app called Think Up, and maybe this is something people might be interested in too. It's a free app on um, the app store on your phone. But basically, you can record these affirmations, and then it'll repeat itself to you over like meditation music. So if you don't want to say it out loud, have it playing in the background. I think it's pretty, pretty neat. Um, and like you could categorize them. So like, these are my money affirmations or these are my like self love affirmations. These are my gratitude affirmations. So whatever that looks like. So that's a really cool app that I've used recently. And I credit that to Devin Jones, who is my life coach. And she was just like, you should probably consider this. And I was like, that's actually a great idea. Cause sometimes I feel funky just like looking in the mirror and like saying these things to myself, you know? So if if that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just funny that we really say things to ourselves all throughout the day. Yeah. So I am going to follow up with you, Alyssa, and you need to name yours so I can. So my my crazies can be your crazies. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like I've heard people do that before, but I haven't done that yet. Um, so I'll definitely have to name my all of my inner voices for sure. I love that tip. Um, so I I remember us talking about um, entrepreneurs specifically and creatives. You know, there's a lot of inconsistency when it comes to our income. You know, sometimes you don't know when the next gig comes. And sometimes, like, much like now, we're just like maybe not receiving the same amount of income that we could have had could have been pre-COVID. So I would love to hear how we can create consistency with inconsistent income. Yeah, and this is great because it's been coming up a lot in the entrepreneurial circles that I'm um, reaching out to, and I'm happy to share this. So essentially what I would recommend is having two kind of checking accounts I would call it. So you'd have one account that I would call your get and paid account. And 
only because I think it sounds fun. <laughs> so name it whatever you want, but it's kind of nice to be like, all right, I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid for this job that I did or this project. Um, and then every time you get paid on a project or any kind of work, it goes into the getting paid account. And then I would take a look at what your overall expenses are every single month. So let's just say it's $5,000. That's totally what you need for the savings that you're doing in your one account and then the expenses that you have. So it's $5,000 a month. I would have from your getting paid account, it set up so it's automatically sending $2,500 a month every two weeks into your what I would call paycheck account. So your paycheck account could remain the existing checking account that you already have. So maybe you're just opening up one account. So it'd be your getting paid account. That's all your money workflow goes into that. And then every two weeks, you have money that'll meet your expenses go into your paycheck account. So this is not potentially not going to work overnight, especially if you don't have a big project coming up. And so I would give yourself, you know, three months, six months, 12 months to set this up so it starts happening consistently. And the whole objective is to build enough money up in that getting paid account that you can always have the same income every two weeks. Mm. So you can start to plan financially around savings goals that, um, you know, even if it's reinvestment back in your business, whatever that is, because otherwise, if you have just this chunk of money coming in your checking account, it's harder to keep track of. And then a lot of these kind of guardrails that I teach are difficult to follow because you're not getting that consistent income from a corporation um, or a bigger company anymore. So this is really about you creating that streamline of income for yourself. And so oftentimes, too, when people are creating these after three months, let's say their getting paid account starts to get pretty big. And they're like, well, now what do I do with this money in here? And they take it out and they send it or they, most of the times it's on something to spend money on. And I would keep it in there for at least six months to see because there could, you might want to take a vacation. And if you're mm-hmm. self-employed in project work, it might come down to a point where you're just like, I want to say no to this project because I am totally overworked and I feel like I'm tapping out on my creativity here. But I don't feel comfortable financially, so I'm going to say yes. And if you can build up this cushion for yourself, you can give yourself permission to take a break. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just something that takes time to do and really to give yourself a break. Because if someone's looking at that going, well, okay, my expenses are $5,000. i am not getting, you know, every paycheck or every project that I'm doing. I'm not getting $10,000 from this. I don't think I can do it. Give yourself some grace. But if you set the structure up and everything's set up, then it's just adding money to that getting paid account and then making it happen over six to 12 months. But I would pick a goal, get really, really specific of the time frame that you're going to make this happen. So that way, you know, you're working towards it and then you're not kind of stealing money out of that getting paid account for yourself. That is brilliant. I would not have thought of that. So I love that tip. I think that's it's really smart and again kind of just like preparing yourself for it's not the, it's like it's kind of like a savings account but it's also like not um 
But I love that idea. And I think that's really smart to consider because like, yeah, right now, like, like, for example, all of our money for our business is funneling into just one account. And then we have that automated um, payment that goes into our savings account every month. So it's like now we can consider to open up that second checking account and then we can start to plan like, okay, our monthly expenses look like this. So the fact that you gave us like step step by step, like actionable steps is really great because I feel like when it comes to finances, when we have no idea where to start, again, it's just so intimidating and it's just like, how do we even begin? This doesn't make sense to me. And like, this is very empowering. So thank you for sharing that. I think that that's, that's really great advice. Yeah. And I think as time goes on and money starts to build in that getting paid account, then people can start making real business decisions for expansion. It's Mm. hard to do that when you're like, okay, I have money this month and I've had money the past six months, but I don't know what the next six months is going to look like. And that's when I'm, you know, I think I do a lot of really good work with entrepreneurs is allowing them to create a plan so they can spend money on growing their business and, you know, maybe hiring an assistant. So they don't have to do kind of the day-to-day stuff that doesn't excite them, but they didn't know if they had the money for it before. Once you set this on a system, you're, you're like, oh yeah, I actually can afford someone to take this workload off and expand my business at the same time. And this just goes back to that whole like building wealth conversation, not just checking in every day to, to do the grind. This is this is what it's about. Yeah, I love that. And I would love to kind of transition this last part of our conversation into how you can help everybody because you had briefly mentioned your book. And I know we were kind of talking about that in our last conversation, but I know you have these golden rules to becoming financially empowered. So I would love for you to share just how people can get involved and really learn from you and get the right education when it comes to building and growing wealth? Yeah, I have a really fun financial empowerment challenge coming up August 24th to the 28th. So I'm trying to just get the word out to as many people because I've been doing these just different challenges throughout quarantine, like a fitness challenge or like my you know, writer's challenge that I have going with some authors. And it's just a really nice way to bring community together when, you know, we're all working our butts off at home and it kind of feels like you're on an island sometimes. So I think just having the camaraderie of knowing there's other people out there that are care about the same things that I care about. They're wanting to improve in the same areas I do. And it kind of just got me excited to do that. So I wanted to do that for Empowered Planning. So I created a five-day financial empowerment challenge, and um, people can sign up in my link through uh, Instagram. I have it on my link tree there, but essentially, I'll send you daily emails with financial prompts for the day, and the whole purpose is just to raise financial awareness and get you wrapped up in that information, so you're becoming really clear. Like These are the steps of how do I get started, and I essentially want people to kind of master or own these five key financial building blocks so they can start investing with confidence. If you don't know a lot of these numbers behind the scenes, then all of a sudden it feels really uncomfortable to take any next step. So this is kind of just all about getting to know your money (laughs) for the five days and doing it in a group of people that are looking to do the same thing. So I'm excited about that. And then I have Empowered Academy, which I created and that's starting in the fall. 
Um, and that is all about investing. So it's a 10 week live program, um, with me. I have a couple master classes in there and then it's really all about application and applying investing concepts to your life. So kind of the question you asked me before, where do I get started? We would really hone in on your specific situation and then help you figure out, okay, based on all the goals that you have, let's look at all the investment solutions that are out there and then show you what's an easy to understand um, investment strategy to choose because there's so many out there. I'm just going to kind of wipe away all of the noise and really dial it back to what are the most impactful and easy, easy to understand. So I have that coming up as well. There's a wait list going on. I'm doing some free enrollments, but all of those links are on my link free and Instagram. So, and then in the meantime, there are those three videos that I do on IGTV. And I have fun doing those, just answering questions of what is on people's minds. So you guys could always just DM me or email me and happy to create that content. I love it. No, yeah, this is great. I really feel like even just having this conversation was so empowering and you know, being an entrepreneur and a small business owner, like it's I remember when COVID like COVID specifically first started and we were just like, What's happening with like everybody's business? We had to like close down yeah. for a few months and you know, that uncertainty and like the fact that we have a lease, we're locked in for three years and we had to come up with like, how can we pay like our rent when we don't have any income coming in? So it's definitely setting up like, you know, these processes for us to feel like, okay, if and when this were to happen again, at least we're prepared and at least we know mm -hmm. like what we have in the pipeline for now um, because like even those past projects, like they were either canceled or postponed. And I know many of us, many of my other creative friends can relate to this, but you know, to have all of those opportunities stripped away because of something you had no idea what would happen was very like scary. Yeah. And you know, uh, it's just, again, very unpredictable, but when you prepare yourself and you have someone on your side like yourself to empower us and to educate us on like the best decisions to make regarding our income, like that's so helpful and that's something I definitely want to look into and I'm really excited to hear more about Empowered Academy and the challenge and especially your book. I know, I don't know when it's coming out or and everything, but I'm, I'm going to just throw it out there. Yeah, I'm saying uh, next early summer, or late spring, and I'm what I'm doing every Thursday is I'm doing a really quick IG story on my progress because I need accountability, which is why I've been doing all these challenges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I just put it out there. I use hashtag Get Empowered, and I'm tagging one person every week that I know is working on a project because I want them to like put it out there to the world and kind of be my accountability buddy that week. Uh, love that. So. Alyssa, watch out. I'm coming <laughs> for you. But it's just, it's just created this kind of fun stress that I'm like, all right, I said I was going to kind of post my progress every week, so I better be making some progress. And even if it's just for me and no one's really watching it, I am holding myself accountable to that. So mm -hmm. the projected date for the book release would be late 
spring, early summer of next year. Ooh, that's really exciting. I can't wait to share about it and see everything come together. Um, but before we end this conversation, I love to end our coffee and combos with two questions we ask every guest. And the first one is, what is one last piece of advice that you would give our listeners? Um, it's just a quote, and I don't know where it's originally from, but it's that people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. And I would just keep that in mind with your money. If you're not planning to fail, but you fail to plan. That was so simple and so straightforward. I love it. And our last question is, if you could have a coffee and combos with anybody, who would it be? I probably Oprah. I just really want to talk to her. I just want to get five minutes of her talking. <laughs> that would be amazing. She's definitely on the top of my yes, list it would. too. <laughs> yeah, that that would be really really awesome. Well, Shinabu, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. I really, really appreciate your time. And I wish after, you know, everything transpires with COVID that we would be able to share a conversation in person. So thank you for doing this in the comfort of your home and the comfort of my studio. This was great. And um, before we pretty much close out, how can people follow you? Where can they find you online? If you have a website, please share that too. Yeah, it's uh, empoweredplanning.com is my website. And then my Instagram handle is empowered underscore planning. So that would be awesome to connect with people. I'm mostly on Instagram. So I just really love connecting even with fellow entrepreneurs. So yes, please find me. I want friends. <laughs> You'll have no problem finding them, girl. You're awesome. Thank you so much. This was Thank so you, Alyssa. This was awesome. <laughs>